chapter 10. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 13, and then I'm going to be moving to Proverbs 7 when I'm finished with that. So 1 Corinthians 10, starting at verse 1. For I did not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses, and in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Proverbs 7. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. To keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress, with her smooth words. For at the window of my house I have looked through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple. I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house, in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloe, aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. She has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full, at full moon, he will come home. With much, with much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me, and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways, and do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low. And all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, 
going down to the chambers of death. All right. Well, hey, welcome back to our series called Freedom. Uh, We are in the midst of this series where we're following the rescuer Jesus out of our slavery, out of our bondage, out of our Egypts, and into the promised life, the, the life that he has for us. And last week we talked about the enemy and how he tempts us. We're actually talking about temptation again today, as I mentioned earlier. And uh, we looked at the enemy and, and some of his tactics and some of his schemes, wanting to become aware of his tactics, but ultimately saying that our great hero, Jesus, has conquered our enemy. Amen? He's defeated him. He has crushed the head of the tempter. And so we can have confidence knowing this in him and, and our identity in him, knowing that we can be free from temptation because he has destroyed the tempter for us. And today we're going to look at how God helps us specifically in our temptations and how he provides for us so richly in the midst of them and provides specifically a way out of them. But before we do that, I mentioned last week that I want this this, um, sermon series and Pastor Bill wants this sermon series not just to be information, um, but we very much want this sermon series to be encouragement for you as well. Uh, We're sensitive to the fact that many of you in here are struggling with certain things. Um, that you're battling things on a day-to-day basis. And so a lot of times when you come into church, you're tired, you're frustrated, you're kind of at the end of your rope in some ways. And so we want to start plugging into this sermon series specific times of testimony where we share uh, the good things of what Christ has done in our past that gives us a lot of hope and energy for the battle ahead of us, that, that says to you, you may feel stuck right now, but you can be free. Whatever you're stuck in right now, whatever has you, whatever is holding you, Jesus can set you free. And so I'm going to have Aubrey Fry come up, and she's going to share a testimony of what Jesus has done in her life um, over the past couple years, and you're going to get to be encouraged this morning. All right. I write everything down, so I am just going to read what I wrote, um, because this is the best way I can talk. So, I am going to try to keep this brief while still giving you the full gist of this struggle that Jesus has freed me from. When I was a freshman in high school, I met a girl two years younger than me on the soccer team named Nikki. She was um, struggling a lot with cutting and suicidal tendencies on a daily basis. She had been abused many times in her past, and these were her outlets for her pain. We became very close friends, and throughout the season, I talked her out of hurting herself many times. She would give me notes that said, I'm going to do it, so I would call her as soon as I got home and spend hours on the phone with her so that she couldn't hurt herself or try to kill herself that night. I would follow her into the bathroom at practices or or games to stop her from cutting or help her if she already had. I would stay awake all night at sleepovers so that I could be her pillow and comfort her when she had nightmares. I didn't realize it at the time as a 15-year-old kid, but I was setting myself up to believe that I could save this girl, that I would save her every time she thought about hurting or killing herself. After the season ended, we didn't see each other anymore and didn't talk much, and then I found out she had attempted suicide and had ended up in the hospital for days. And when I asked how she was, she yelled at me and told me it was my fault that she almost died. It was my fault because I promised her I would always be there, and then I wasn't. And this became firmly ingrained as part of my identity from that day on. I was a helper, a healer, a savior for those with problems like hers. Fast forward five years, and I was a sophomore at USF. 
January 18th, 2011, I woke up and looked at my phone, and I saw a text from a girl on the high school soccer team who I hadn't talked to for years, and the text said, I thought you should know from me and not from Facebook, but Nikki committed suicide yesterday. I was in shock and couldn't believe that this had happened and automatically started beating myself up for not being there for her, even though I hadn't talked to her in years. I was so angry at God for not stopping her from killing herself. Her death solidified the idea in my head that I was the only one who could save people because God doesn't step in when it's needed. And I had failed, and my failure meant that my worth was gone. I became depressed and angry much of the time and started seeking out more girls like Nikki who I could attempt to save since I wasn't able to save her. Fast forward to 2013, and I had started working at a residential treatment facility through LSS where so many of the girls reminded me of Nikki that I began having daily breakdowns because I realized how powerless I was to affect change in their lives. And that powerlessness equaled worthlessness in my mind. I asked to talk to the pastors about this, and then I started going to counseling as well. And over the course of two and a half years, God slowly took the Savior identity away from me. He helped me realize that I had done the best I could to be a friend to Nikki, but it was not my place to rescue her. Jesus had already done that through his death and resurrection. God showed me these verses in Titus 3, 5 through 7. God saved us, not because of the good things we did, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins and gave us a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us because of what Jesus Christ, our Savior, did. He declared us not guilty because of his great kindness, and now we know that we will inherit eternal life. He told me through those verses that I am not guilty. I, who thought that I could only have worth on this earth if I could save other people, I am not guilty. And I should not believe that I am or act like I am because Jesus has taken that guilt away from me. I realized over time that there was nothing else I could have done to save my friend. And I realized that her death was not my fault. I realized that in the middle of all of this pain, the only thing that is worth living for is Jesus. Because Jesus has conquered death for all time. His death on the cross and his resurrection from the death is our hope, our only hope. He promises that he will give us new life through his spirit and that he will return to make all things right. When he returns, we will join him in his resurrection because he has triumphed over death, over all of the evil things in this world. Jesus has already won. And he was kind and generous enough to remind me of this truth when I was hurting so much. He reminded me that he is the Savior, and I do not need to be because that is not who I am. It is true that I did not see God work in Nikki's life before she died, but God helped me realize that that doesn't mean that she didn't know him or meet him before she died. And I'm free to hope that he did rescue her in ways that I cannot understand while still living on this earth, because that is what Jesus does. He rescues people. He does not wish that any should perish, and he loves each person so much that he died in our place and rose from the dead so that we could be with him in perfect relationship. That is his identity. It's not mine. And he showed me that this was not my identity in ways so clear and so true that I don't have the abil- any ability or desire to take that Savior identity back. So this is the struggle he's freed me from. Amen. Thank you, Aubrey. One of the great privileges of being a pastor is that you get to see people like Aubrey, and many of you have similar stories, but you get to see them at the beginning of their struggle, and you get to see them at the end of it, or when crisis set them free from a particular thing. And what I've found is that we're all in this process all of our lives, of going from one thing to the next, of, of needing Jesus and him working with us and setting us free. So remember, it's a long game. Uh, she mentioned two and a half years. This was not easy. Lots of tears, lots of tough days, but Jesus sets us free, amen? 
so we're going to come around that idea again today, and we're going to be talking about temptation and how he helps us out of it. Um, one of the things that I, I, I saw a couple years ago was startling to me. I was traveling through, I think it was Colorado, and I, I may have seen it once or twice since then, but maybe you've, you've noticed this too. I, I was driving down an interstate in Colorado, and I noticed this huge billboard, and it was one of those electronic billboards so they can put things up there like traffic accident ahead or this much time to get to this place. And this particular day on this billboard was this giant message that said, speed trap ahead in just huge letters. You know, just font 9,000. It's just this massive sign saying, speed trap ahead. And I was thinking, that's weird. We don't do that in South Dakota. You know, our cops are hiding in the grass, and they're hiding behind bridges, and like just over hills. So you come over the hill, and you're like, dang it, they got me, you know. And, and they're just so crafty. In South Dakota, I think they're just like low on tax dollars, so they're, they're not telling anyone where, you, where, where they are because they want to give out as many speeding tickets as possible. Well, apparently in Colorado, they were having such a problem with speeding that they were putting this up on billboards. And I thought, well, that's crazy. But I kept driving, and sure enough, there's a speed trap. There's like six cop cars pulling people over, waiting to pull people over. And the craziest part was that people were still getting pulled over. <laughs> I was like, what is this? There's like two or three cars pulled over getting tickets. I'm like, how dumb do you have to be? There was a huge billboard up. You know, it couldn't be any bigger saying, speed trap ahead. Don't, you know, don't keep speeding. And people, probably one ticket in hand already, just keep barreling down the interstate, pedal to the metal, just going as fast as they can. And, and I'm like, how does this happen? How, do people, how does this not register to people that they're about to get a speeding ticket? And I thought, you know, I wonder if this is how we are sometimes in our relationship with God when it comes to our temptations. I wonder if maybe God is shouting at us, putting up billboards, um, giving us messages, all kinds of things, doing all kinds of things, saying, hey, speed trap ahead. Warning, don't go down that path. Warning, this is going to be destructive to you. This is going to cause death in your life. And he's using uh, the Holy Spirit, and, and, and he's using our Christian friends, and he's using the church, and he's using the word to do this and give us all kinds of messages. And yet, what are we doing? Pedal to the metal. We're just barreling down the interstate, one ticket in hand. We don't care what's about to happen. We're just going straight into it. And so today is about coming around the idea that hopefully we can see a little clearer how God is providing for us in the midst of our temptation and how we can heed his warnings. So let's dive into our text today. Um, our, our first text that we're going to be looking at is 1 Corinthians 10. So if you could turn there with me, if you have a Bible, that'd be great. If you don't have a Bible, um, there are some hardback black ones in the back, and we'd love for you to take one as, your, as our gift to you today. Um, but we're going to be starting in this passage in 1 Corinthians, and this passage reminds me a lot of one of those big billboards, because Paul is essentially saying here, hey, look, I'm giving you a warning Here's some things that were real sticky situations for your forefathers and, and mothers. Here's some things that created big problems for them. You don't need to go into these things. You don't need to fall prey to these things. And so he's saying, speed trap ahead. And we're going to look at this passage and, and how Paul uses this to give them some helpful wisdom concerning their temptations. And I want us to notice four things in this passage today. Then we're going to get on to the Proverbs passage and look at a real case study. Uh, it's always easier to look at other people's temptations. Have you noticed this? It's always easier to, to dissect them and say, oh, that's where you went wrong. 
See, that's where you got stuck, right there. And it's really hard to look at our own temptation. So I'm hoping that we can look at someone else's temptation together, and maybe you can think later on this week, I wonder um, where I'm getting tripped up. I wonder where I'm not heeding the warnings of the Holy Spirit to stay out of temptation. All right? So let's dive into it together. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. I think the first thing that we see here that Paul's saying in this passage about temptation and about how to get out of it is number one, don't think that you're above it. Don't think that you're above temptation. This is the first step in overcoming it and getting through it and becoming wise about handling it is don't think that you're above it. And Paul says this in two different ways in this passage. The first way, he really builds his case with the first six verses, or actually even more than that, the first 11 verses, okay? And what he's doing is he's, he's connecting the Corinthian church to the Israelite people, which is super interesting, right? Because the Corinthian church was primarily Gentiles. They were not Jews. And Paul's saying, here's some of the sins of your forefathers. They fell into this stuff, and they died in the wilderness because of it. And so he's saying, look, I'll tell you what, they had all kinds of spiritual experiences. They had God with them. They passed through the sea. They were baptized into Moses. They ate and drank this spiritual food and spiritual drink. What's Paul talking about there? Well, he's kind of relating to it to them in, the, in terms of baptism in the Lord's Supper. He's saying, look, they, they had these things. You're baptized into Christ and you get to receive the elements of the Lord's Supper. That's great. They had those things too and they still fell. They had all these wonderful things that God did with them and they still fell into temptation and they still died in the wilderness as a result of it. So don't think that you're above it. He's saying just because you go to church, just because you're in a small group, just because you've got a a fish on your bumper sticker, don't think that you're above temptation. Don't think that you can't fall into it as well. Many Christians have fallen prey to things after saying, oh, that's not my issue. That's not my deal. I could never fall into that. I think this actually really helps us with being judgmental about people as well, right? Because if anybody should have a humble attitude about themselves, it should be Christians. Because we know how prone we are towards sin. We know how fallen we are, and we know how deeply in need of a Savior we are. We couldn't do anything to save ourselves. And so we're never to look down our noses at other people and say, did you hear what so-and-so did? Can you believe that? I can't believe that. I would, never, I would never be tempted by something like that. should never be us. Because right around the corner, that's why the proverb says, pride comes before a fall. So just when you think you will never be tempted by that, there it comes. And the enemy's waiting for that moment when you just get cocky enough that you think you can't be tempted by that. So Paul's saying, don't be that way. Don't think that you're above it. The second thing he comes to is in verse 13. And, and he goes into this, and I think this is a, a really especially big thing for us in today's kind of isolationist culture. Now, after, he, after he gets done saying, don't think you're above, verse 12, he says, let, therefore let anyone who thinks that he sta- stands take heed lest he fall. That's where he says it really clearly. But then verse 13, he says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So he's saying these things that you struggle with, these temptations, these are common things. Um, you're not alone. He's saying the, th- this, the things that are tempting you have been tempting people for thousands of years. And I think one of the things that the enemy does in our temptation is he comes to us and he says, you know what? Congratulations. You invented a new sin. You're the only one who's ever done this. 
You're the only one who struggles with this. So I would recommend you keep this a secret. Because if you tell anyone about this, they're going to shun you. And so you need to go off all by yourself and just work on this by yourself and just fix yourself. That's what he's saying to you oftentimes. And, and, and Paul's coming right out and saying, no, these are common things. You're tempted by basically the same things. Um, there's nothing new under the sun. That's the idea here. And I think this will help you because it brings you to understand that you're not alone and to understand that you're not the only one struggling with this temptation helps to lead you out of secrecy, out of isolation, into a place of confession and transparency. Um, if you want to know what I think is the number one antidote for temptation, the number one inoculation against it, it's living an open, honest, transparent life as a part of a, a trusted community. Just constantly sharing with those Christians close to you. Just constantly opening up and saying, hey, brother, I, I really struggle with this. Will you pray for me? Those are the kinds of people that really deal with temptation well because they're being honest with other people about it. They're having other people pray for them. They're having other people examine their lives. Sister, I'm, I'm really having trouble with this thing today. Will you stand with me? Will you pray for me? And I would love it if someday, this isn't the culture today in Life Church, but I would love it if someday the culture in Life Church started to see it as a huge strength that you can share your weaknesses, your temptations, and your struggles with others in the body. That we would start to see that as a strength rather than see the person that never shares anything as strong. Right, because that's as Americans, we tend to think that, right? We tend to think, oh, they never, they never really have anything bad happening in their lives. They're never struggling with anything. They're never tempted by anything. Or so it seems. Because they never share anything. And it is a huge strength to be able to share that you're struggling, that you're weak, that you're tempted, that you need the prayers and the community around you to help you. It's a huge strength. So you're not alone. That's Paul's second point. We've been given that ministry by the Holy Spirit and we should be glad to minister freedom to others in this way. The third and fourth thing that he says, he says together in verse 13 as well, and these are two powerful things that I think we need to understand. We're going to spend most of our time here today. First of all, in, in verse 13, he says, God is faithful. I just need to pause there for a second. God is faithful. So some of us feel like in the midst of our temptations that God has left us, that God abandoned us, that God is not there for us, that he sort of got busy with something else and and he just said, oh, I totally spaced it that you were dealing with that. Sorry. But that's not true. In the midst of your darkest hour, in the midst of your deepest temptation and struggle, God is right there with you. And, he's, and that's what I want you to see today, at the end of today. I want you to, to tune into his voice because he's, he's trying to help you. He's giving you warning signs. He's giving you billboards saying, speed trap ahead. Hey, watch out for that. Don't go down that path. God is faithful. And Paul says... And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. I know, somebody's going to say, hey, Pastor Dave, that's not true. Because just this past week, I, I had this massive temptation come up and I totally blew it, totally fell. So where was the ability then? You know, and this does not mean that you will take that ability every time, but what it means is that he's given it to you. Um, in 1 Peter, it says that he's given you everything that you need for life and godliness. Everything you need. If you're a Jeremy Camp fan, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So as Christians, we cannot say, God hasn't given me what I need to resist temptation. We can't say that. 
He's put the Holy Spirit in you. He's given you everything you need to overcome temptation. Now, do we always take his help? No. We don't take it. Sometimes we ignore the warning signs. Sometimes we ignore um, the, the speed trap ahead signs. Sometimes we, we do our own thing. Sometimes we just tune the Holy Spirit out. But he's given us everything that we need. And so we need, to, we need to be confident in that. Like, you don't have to fall into temptation. God has given you the ability, the power to overcome it. Right? And so we can be confident in that today. Number four, Paul comes to this place and he says this powerful statement that not only is God faithful to provide the ability to get you out of temptation, he's also busy providing a way out. Look at this. He says, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape. The Greek word literally means an exit. This big door with a bright exit sign. And God's saying, here you go, that you may be able to endure it. And I like to think of it like that. I like to think of it like doors. But here's the thing that you need to understand. As you go into a temptation, and the further along, I think temptations always come with many choices. You don't wind up one day with this big temptation just, just falling on you. Usually there's lots of little choices leading up to it. And the Holy Spirit is constantly providing you a way of temptation, all right? The illustration I'm going to use is from college. I know we've got lots of college guests here. I didn't plan on this. I didn't plan on you being here. So uh, God nailed you. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so... so College is a really tempting time, right? We can just admit that. College is a tempting time because you're combining two things. You're combining um, lots of discretionary time. I didn't say you're not doing anything. You just have lots of discretionary time. You can study or do all the other million things you want to do. Um, and, it, and it also combines um, new freedom. Lots of new freedom, lots of discretionary time makes for a huge, big problem with temptation uh, for Christian students going to college. And, and I remember this well. And... Um, let's say that you, uh, you know, as a freshman got into the party scene and all the things that come with that, and then, and then Christ saved you out of that, and you said, okay, no more of that. That's leading to destruction in my life. I, I can't be there. That's just not good for me. It's destroying me. And then one night, your friend texts you and says, hey, so-and-so's throwing a party at their house. You know you want to come. I'll be there in 20 minutes, right? You just feel it like, oh, I want to go, but I'm new. I'm a new person in Christ. I, I, this, ah, what should I do? And the Holy Spirit's saying, just tell them the truth. Just text them back and say, hey, sorry to be a total loser, but I'm now following Jesus, and that's, that's not my thing anymore. Just tell them the truth. Or the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, look, just tell them you want to go to the game tonight. Why don't you invite them to the game? Or just t invite them over and make food. Why don't you say, hey, can you come over and just make some food with me, or let's catch a movie, or let's do something else. And the door is big. It's like a big overhead garage door with a huge big exit sign on it. And, and it's easy. You've got a million ways you can get out of that. Just a friendly text back, thanks, but no thanks. You don't even have to give them a reason. Ah, no, I really don't feel like it. Whatever it is. And you can get out of that temptation. But instead you say, hey, sounds like fun. See you in 20 minutes. All right? Well, now the door's not a big overhead garage door anymore. It's just a regular-sized door with a small exit sign. Okay? It's going to be a little harder to get out of this door because now you've already said yes. And so now it's going to take going backwards a little bit. So the Holy Spirit says, okay, now that you said yes, bad, bad mistake, but we can recover. How, just text them back and say, you know what? I, I'm totally rethinking this. Um, I, I, I didn't tell you this, but I've really made a decision to follow Jesus, and uh, that's not my thing anymore. 
Um, or just text them back and say, hey, look, uh, rethought it. Not going to do that. Uh, sorry, I'll catch up with you later. Or just, just call them. Just explain it to them. Just don't lie, but just be honest with them. Or don't even have to give a reason. Just say no. Just do whatever you have to do. Take the exit. The Holy Spirit's saying, take the off-ramp. Don't go into the speed trap. Speed trap ahead. Don't go down that road. Turn your car around. Roll your car if you have to. Do whatever you have to do to not go down that path. But you say, no, I'm going to get ready. And you get dressed and you get all gussied up. And, and then you're ready to go to the party, Right? And now the door is not a garage-sized door. It's not even a, a, a regular-sized door. It's actually not even a door anymore. Now it's just a window. You have a window to crawl out of, a way of escape. And the Holy Spirit's saying, there's still time. There's a way of escape here. And you get in the car, and you're going, and the Holy Spirit's saying, okay, text one of your Christian friends and tell them, you know, you've been accountable with them. Tell them this is your struggle, this is your thing. Ask them if they'll meet you there and, and kind of help you out. If it's not their struggle, if partying is not their deal, if they'll meet you there and kind of help you out. Or text your pastor, ask him to pray for you. Or text, you know, your life group leader. Or text someone from church that you know and that you've trusted with this thing and ask them if they'll come and pick you up. Or you know what? When the car stops, just get out. Or when it, if it starts rolling again, just roll out. You, it happens in the movies. You can do it. Nobody gets hurt in the movies. Just get out of the car. Whatever you have to do, just get out of the car. Don't go there. Speed trap ahead. And you don't do it. You don't listen to the Holy Spirit. You don't take the window. And so now it's not a big garage door. It's not even a regular sized door. It's not even a window. Now all you've got is a little dog door. And some of you have tried maybe when you've locked your keys out of your house to squeeze through the dog door. It's not easy anymore, right? It's like, oh, this is going to be really hard. I'm going to have to finagle this. I might break something. But I, I'm, I, there's still a way out. And the Holy Spirit's saying there's still a way out. There's still a dog door. Take the dog door. Don't don't go in there. Don't, whatever you have to do, don't go in there. And so you go into the party and you're saying, okay, go lock yourself in the bathroom. This is going to be really weird, but go lock yourself in the bathroom. Make a phone call. Have someone come pick you up. Or just excuse yourself to go outside with all the people smoking cigarettes and then just keep walking. And just walk and walk and walk and, and then call someone and have them come pick you up. And he's saying, do whatever you have to do. Do whatever you have to do. God is providing for you a way out. And, and sometimes maybe you say, Pastor Dave, I don't see the way out. Well, a lot of times it's because as we get into the temptation, we're not looking for it anymore. At that point, we're like, I don't even really want to see the way out. I don't want to look at the dog door. I want to just be like, no, I'm not going, I'm not, I'm going into this now. And we make a decision, we shut out the Holy Spirit, but he's constantly speaking. He's constantly providing for us a way out. Those are Paul's words to us. Now we get to look at the case study together. And this is gripping literature in Proverbs, isn't it? As Elder Wade read it, it's like, whoa, this is in the Bible? You know? Like, this is, this is like right in your face kind of stuff. And this is a powerful temptation. You can feel it as we read it. And there's just some really practical take-home things here uh, from the Proverbs, from the wisdom of the Proverbs here for you to help you in, your, in the midst of your temptation. And so I want you to notice a couple things as we go through this. First of all, in our case of this young man, notice that he's described as simple, uh, which is not a compliment, by the way. If someone calls you simple, uh, especially in the Proverbs, they're kind of, that's not a compliment. They're saying he's kind of stupid, right? I mean, just, just putting it bluntly, he's just kind of stupid. He's not thinking. And before we laugh and chuckle and say, well, that was this guy, that would never be me, we have to realize that sin makes us stupid, doesn't it? I mean, it makes us stupid. We start thinking with the butt of our brain. We start thinking out of our drives. We start getting dopamine releases into our brain, and now you're just reacting to your cravings. 
You're not thinking with your prefrontal cortex. You're thinking with the butt of your brain, and that causes a lot of problems. So you have to know that just, just because this man's described as simple doesn't mean that we shouldn't see ourselves there sometimes as we're reacting to our cravings, as we're responding to the temptations that the enemy puts in front of us. Now, the second thing we notice is where he is and what time of day it is. Okay, look at this. This young man is passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. Okay, so um, this is bad choice number one for this guy, okay? Where he is. He is on the path uh, to on the path to this adulterous woman's house. Now, we don't, we don't get any background of, does he know who she is? Has he ever been there before? I think that this guy probably uh, is pretty innocent. He's just, uh, he maybe has exchanged glances with her sometimes. He's just kind of curious. Uh, maybe he had, she had spoken something to him at one point, and he said, I'm just going to go, you know, see if she's around or whatever. Um, but I don't think he came down this path intending to sleep with a married woman. I don't think that was his intention. But he put himself on the path and it was at nighttime, the perfect time for this to happen. All right? And I think this is exactly uh, what we need to see here because sometimes we're putting ourselves in situations that are almost impossible for us to resist. I mean, if we're honest about this, like, we put ourselves in such tempting situations and then we go, no, Pastor Dave, why did I fall? Well, gee, I wonder. Anybody in that situation would have fallen. You know what I mean? Like anybody would have been tempted in the situation you put yourself in. And so like at least half of overcoming temptation is just not getting on the path, not going near her house. Because once you get on the path, it's infinitely harder to get back off the path. It's infinitely harder to turn around, to turn those cravings off is very, very, very difficult. So he's on the path and it's evening time. And what I think that we need to do, um, and what this man failed to do, is we need to make pre-decision decisions. That I'm not going to be at this place, okay? I'm not going to be here at this time. I'm not going to put myself in those circumstances because you know yourself. And you know that that's going to be tempting for you. And that's going to be, you're going to have a low probability of overcoming that and saying no to that once you're there. But when you're clear-headed and, and all the chemicals are not kicked in yet, you can make the decision, right? Don't trust your chemicals. I'm telling you, many of you are underestimating the power of your hormones. And you're putting yourself in places and situations. Amen, brother. I can hear it back there. Yeah. I mean, many of you are putting yourself into such tempting situations that there's no way you even listen to the Holy Spirit and take the door out because you're, you're already just in hyperdrive. Okay, so, so he's made this bad decision. We need to make pre-decision decisions. For some of us, this means um, having your, your devices uh, filtered with a really good software uh, or having them kept in public places because that's just, that's just too powerful of a temptation for you when you're alone. For others of you, this will mean saying goodbye to a friendship or a relationship because every time you're with that person, they lead you into temptation and sin. And you're saying, well, Pastor Dave, that sounds really harsh and judgmental. I'm not saying don't love that person. I'm not saying that person is beyond Jesus saving. They need Jesus just like you and I do. But you are not the one to save them. It's like Aubrey was saying today. You're not the one to save them, and you've proven that by sinning repeatedly with them. 
Okay? So, so let someone else minister Jesus to them, and you're going to have to leave that relationship. Uh, for many people, the bars are just not a good setup. You combine alcohol with some dancing and some flirting, and all of a sudden you're in a bad spot to make a decision. You're, you're compromised. So don't even get on the path. Don't even get there. Some of you who are dating and engaged, um, you have got to have conversations that are weird and awkward about like what times of day will we be together? What things will we be, we be doing when we're together? Will our feet stay on the floor? Um, how are we going to keep pure in this relationship? I'm not joking around here. You have to have these conversations. As a Christian, you have to have them. My wife and I had tons of conversations about this because I know myself. I know that if I put myself in those positions, I would be tempted in sin. And so we said, we're not going to do these things. And it was a long list. Because otherwise, it would be very hard for us to make it to marriage pure. Right? So make the list longer than shorter. Just know yourself. Be honest with yourself. You lie to yourself. That's the big problem. You know that? You're just lying to yourself. Oh, we'll be fine. We're just watching a movie at midnight on the couch. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're lying to yourself is what you're doing. Nobody lies to you like you do. All right? So make pre-decision decisions. Another, uh, the next thing we notice here is that there is actually another call in this passage. When you see this young guy alone, and this woman is calling to him, and you can feel that, because that's what your sin is like. She's, she's bold, she's brazen, she's sexy, she's calling to him. And some of your sin, it's like, it's sexy, it's powerful, it's calling to you, and you're like, it doesn't have an audible voice, but it might as well. It's so powerful. And, and that almost feels like that's all you hear, but I want to tell you this morning, there is another call. There is another call. If you go on and read Proverbs 8, the next call is the call of Lady Wisdom. And she is calling to this young man too. And she's saying, don't go down to her paths. Don't go to her ways. Her ways lead to death. And that's, that's what I want you to be confident of as well, that in the midst of your temptation, that sin is calling to you strongly, but the Holy Spirit inside of you is more powerful than your sin. Don't underestimate the power of your sin, but, but understand that the Holy Spirit is calling to you as well. He's saying, Come on out of that. There's a speed trap ahead. Don't go down that path. And it's just warning you constantly. And so a big part of resisting temptation is just understanding that that call is there and tuning in to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and responding. As you get used to responding to the Holy Spirit, he'll just prick you. It's really sharp. It's clear. It's not condemning like the enemy. He'll just say, what are you doing? He doesn't say, oh, who do you think you are? You're such a filthy, dirty. No, he doesn't do any of that stuff that the enemy does. He'll just say, what are you doing? Why did you make that decision right there? That's going to lead to destruction. And he's, and he's busy leading you out and showing you a way out. There is another call, and that's what we need to tune into. Finally, we see um, from this case study, this young man, unfortunately, he doesn't heed the call of Lady Wisdom. And it says in verse 22, all at once he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver... As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Any hunters in the room? You got any hunters? Um, okay, so as a, as a, let's say you're doing some bow hunting. If you hit a deer in the liver, is that a kill shot? Will that deer die? If you do it, you will. Okay, if, if Kyle does it, will. But it, this is a kill shot, right? An arrow-piercing liver. This is a big 
deal. This is not like until a branch scrapes his ankle. This is a big deal. An arrow piercing your liver. This is a bad thing. It's going to kill this man. It's going to lead to death. And that's what the, the, the author of this proverb says. He does not know that it will cost him his life. Her house is the way of Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. He obviously didn't hear the youth group sermon that sin, any of you will know this, will, come on, help me with this, sin will take you farther than you want to go, make you stay longer than you want to stay, and make you pay more than you want to pay. And I tell you what, I see this over and over and over again. That sin costs people way more than they thought it would. It has way deeper consequences than they thought it would. They thought it would just be this little thing. And it, it becomes this really big thing. Dear friends, God is speaking to us here. He's saying there's an exit. There's an off-ramp. There's a way out. There's a door. Please take it. Unfortunately, the reality is that sometimes we're a lot like this young guy. We don't take the exit. We don't take the off-ramp. We don't heed the huge billboard or the voice of the Holy Spirit or the voice of a friend or a pastor. We don't heed it. We just go barreling down that interstate right into the trap, and we sin, and, and sin begins to produce death in our lives. But I want you to know that even at this point, all hope is not lost. I mean, if we were to end the sermon here in Proverbs, it would just be, the, the lesson today would just be, well, make good choices, be wise, otherwise you're screwed. And that would be it, right? But that is not the message of the scriptures. That is not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is you didn't make wise choices. You couldn't make wise enough choices. You all rebelled. You all sinned. You all messed up. You all saw the billboard and kept speeding. Just went right down the highway into the speed trap. And so what you needed was a savior from the outside. And so God himself became a man, came to earth to deal with our sin problem, to deal with the fact that we couldn't overcome temptation perfectly. And so the good news today is that God has provided for us so completely in the midst of our temptation. He's first of all provided for us the power to resist temptation. He's given us the Holy Spirit. But not only that, he's provided for us a way of escape in the midst of it. He's lovingly, carefully, uh, meticulously always providing for us a way out, a door, a window, a dog door. He's saying, take the exit. And when we don't take anything he offers, we fall into sin He's gracious and loving enough that he says, I'm going to provide you a path of redemption. In the midst of your sin and brokenness, even though you didn't heed anything I said, I'm still going to provide you a path to redemption, and his name is Jesus. Amen? And so once again today, we run to him. It's the only thing we can do in the midst of our temptation. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have not only overcome the power of the enemy, uh, but you've overcome the consequences of our sin when we fall into his traps, when we take uh, the bait, when we, when, we, when we refuse to heed your warnings. You've done this. You've, you've conquered him, and you've given us a path to redemption. We thank you for that today, Lord Jesus. I pray for anyone in here in the, in the, the midst of a deep struggle. I pray that you would free them, liberate them today, help them to tune in to hear your voice and your call. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
I can't put it much better than what Pastor Dave did, but I just, so I'll just repeat it. We are all guilty of sin, and that sin separates us from God and from relationship with him and from being able to follow him. And so God didn't want that to be the way it was. And so he sent Jesus, his son, to earth to live a perfect life. He was tempted in every way that we were, yet was without sin. So then when he was crucified and he died, was buried, and was raised again from the dead, that resurrection defeated sin and death so that we could be reunited to God again. So if you're hearing that today and you want to begin to follow Jesus, the one who rescued you from your sin, um, the prayer team is going to come, and you can pray with them, you can talk with them, and, or if you have any other needs, the prayer team will be up here for you. Um, so I'm going to pray, and then you, you're free to come or, uh, for prayer, or you're free to go. Jesus, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you that you are the rescuer, that your sacrifice and your resurrection have set us free from sin and death. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come, you would fill us, that you would lead us to you, to walking in your ways, to walking in life and away from destruction. We thank you for your goodness to us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.